Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Thank you, my brother. Thank you for the pulpit. I was wondering whether you had one or not there from us. It was 48 and raining when we left East Texas, so praise God for Delray Beach, Florida. And I'd like for you to take your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. You're not here to listen to my background, you're here to hear the Word of God. And so hopefully we'll have some time later to do that together. But uh, do pray for your pastor that he finishes. Amen. You want him to finish this thing and be on with it. I brought my dissertation with me so he could see what a completed one looked like and perhaps spur him on. I think he's submitted his, uh, submitted his prospectus and now he's uh, waiting on that to return. And then when he gets to writing, you guys, it's, it's downhill from where he has made uh, uh, his way so far. It's downhill. The prospectus is his outline and he's only now probably a year away if he'll get busy writing and... Um, that's a, that's a great thing. So here we are in 1 John chapter 5, and I want to start at verse 12 and uh, end at verse 19. And this will be entitled, Don't Be Afraid. Don't Be Afraid. And let me read the text to you. Verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will forgive him and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that, that, one, that we should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Just a brief prayer together before we start. Father, as we open your word, we actually are opening to you and to hear from you personally. And We know that those of us who have received you by faith in Christ, we know that we hear you, that your voice is uh, indeed discernible, we know what you sound like. But that doesn't mean that there are some along the way who begin to fear and to doubt whether they are truly born again and whether the evil one can take it from us, our salvation from us. I pray that my message today would encourage those who live lives in fear of their salvation, that when they close their eyes for the last time, I pray that after the end of this sermon today, their confidence is in you, God and not in themselves. Thank you for the song that was um, uh, sung just a few minutes ago and how the music leader led us to place our rest in you and that it is in your work, Lord Jesus, that you've done for us that we rest. Uh, 
And so in that, in that vein, we now pray and we now ask your blessing upon the preacher. And we ask your blessing upon those who will listen today. Give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Aren't you glad you're a believer? November 1st is not only the day that we fall back, but it's also a day in the Hispanic tradition that they celebrate this day, November 1st, as what's called the Dia de Muerto, which is the Day of the Dead. And in that tradition, they actually will prepare themselves for uh, weeks in advance to go and to meet with their loved ones who have already gone on to be with the Lord. Or, they think, who are out there in limbo somewhere. And on this particular day, they uh, have their faces painted with uh, skulls. I've noticed, I did some research on it, and they'll go out and celebrate death, and they'll actually go out and make a meal for their loved one. Favorite meal for the one who's deceased. And they believe that as they meet there on that graveside with them, that the loved one comes back and enjoys some fellowship and a meal with them. And um, I, I thought that's... It's terribly sad, um, especially this part of it, because not only do they bring food to the graveside, but they bring flowers to the graveside, but not just any flower, they bring marigolds, because marigolds light up, they're bright, and they believe that the marigolds light up the path from death back to life again. And immediately thought, how odd it is that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That there is the belief that there's some super cyber highway out there that we travel on when we die and that we're able to come back and visit with our loved ones again. That's not at all what the Bible teaches, is it? The Bible actually teaches that we should have assurance that when we close our eyes for the last time, we can go to Christ in heaven and be with him forever and ever. And yet I'm finding more as a pastor that that's what church folk lack the most is assurance. I preached this sermon um, last Sunday, and Karen said, you need to bring it with you and preach it while you're at Delray. I said, okay. Immediately after I preached that sermon, a lady came to me, a member who's been a Christian for over 40 years, and she said, I struggle with this very thing every day of my life. I just want to make sure that I've done everything that I can to make sure that I go to heaven when I die. And she said, your sermon has helped. It's given me some assurance. I've seen from the Word of God that it is true. It's Christ's work that's done that for us. And I just rest and trust in Him. But she said, I know when I leave here, around Wednesday or Thursday, these same kinds of doubts will come back again. I'm here to say, to tell you this morning, that God has your back. And to stop living in fear. I want you to hear that over and over throughout the sermon. God has your back. Stop living in fear. When we open to 1 John, that's the very subject that John's audience struggled with, and that is assurance. There were false teachers who were, I'm convinced, were literally outside their local churches and who were teaching them that when they sinned, that they needed to ask God for forgiveness and salvation again. Can you imagine how many times we do that in our lives? you imagine how fearful that makes some people that when they sin, they've got to go back and put Christ on the cross again and ask Him for forgiveness? And John is writing to his audience then, 
And I'm speaking to you today in the 21st century to say the very same thing I think that the author is saying then. Don't be afraid. Stop living in fear. God has your back. And so this is the message and this is what John's trying to convince us of. The fact that we don't have to get on this cyber highway to death. Here are four assurances in this text. Looking at verses 12 and 13. Do you have your Bibles open? Okay. One of you, one of you, two or three more. Do you have your Bibles open with you this morning? Good, good. Notice verses 12 and 13. And I want to just give you the first of what I see is four assurances that I hope will bolster your confidence in God before we leave here today. And the first one's in verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Look at 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So God gives life to those who believe in His Son. Don't make it complicated. He gives life to those who who believe in His Son. Now believe is a pretty big word for John. This is the same author who wrote Revelation and also wrote the Gospel. Now there there are three others who wrote Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We call them synoptic Gospels because they all say pretty much the same thing about Jesus' teachings and His miracles. John's in a boat of his own. We just call John's Gospel the fourth Gospel. It's not with the synoptics because there's something very different about John. You know what it is? For Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all mention the word believe 10 or 11 times. Matthew 11, Mark 10, uh, Luke 11. John mentions it's 30 times throughout his gospel. So believing is a pretty big deal to John. And so for John, he's just laying it out there. If you have the Son of God, then you've believed in him and God has laid hold of you. If you don't have God, if you don't have Christ, the enemy has laid hold of you. And you're in the grips of the evil one. It's just that simple. It's black or white for John. There's something else about John that differs from the Synoptic Gospels, and that is the three others talk about life in the future, that eternal life comes in the future. For John, eternal life is right now, and that you can enjoy the benefits of heaven even right now, right here in Delray Beach, Florida. Can you imagine that? Because you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done, you have the benefits of heaven right at your fingertips. You have the joy of heaven right now. You don't have to wait to get to heaven to be a joyful person. You don't have to wait to get to heaven to have peace. You can have peace right now and rest in Christ. God has your back, so stop living in fear. We can't see him, can we? We can't see him, and that's the whole thing with John. Of course you can't see him. This is all about faith. This is about putting your life and your, 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 your family and your whole, your soul, everything about you into the hands of Christ and just believing that he has saved you. My grandson, you saw the picture a minute ago. His name is Camden and um, he's three. And man, he thinks literally, if you want to get around some, you can't speak spiritual metaphor stuff to a three-year-old. They live in the present. They live in right now. My wife, Karen, gets an envelope ready for him every Sunday. It's his tithing envelope, and she puts 50 cents in it, and she writes his name on the front of that little envelope, and she writes 50 cents, and she gives it to Camden, and she says, now take this to church and give it to Miss Julia. Miss Julia is his Sunday school teacher. And I say that you're giving that to God, that you're taking your money and giving it to God. Well, Karen says, take your money and give it to Miss Julia. So one Sunday afternoon, we're sitting on the back pergola at home, and Camden comes. He lives with us, by the way, which is a great benefit for grandparents. 
And so Camden comes out on the back porch, and uh, I said, hey, did you take your envelope to church today? Yeah. I said, did you give your money to God? And he said, no, I gave it to Miss Julia. God wasn't there. <laughs> they, just, they just can't think. They don't think in metaphors. They don't think. And, and, and some of us are still living like we're three or four. We, we, we've got to have evidence. You've got to see it to believe it. John says, come on, it's time to grow up. It's time to mature. And it's time to put the word of God at, 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 at face value for what it says. John says, you, you either have or you have not. So, Charles Spurgeon even put it better. My Lord gives me unlimited credit at the bank of faith. <laughs> unlimited credit. So instead of feeling like you've lost your salvation and asking and uh, for salvation again, try asking God for more faith to believe rather than asking for him to save you again. You're saved, but maybe you just need more faith to believe. So that's the first assurance. There's another assurance in verses 14 and 15, and this one deals with prayer. Did you see it? 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything, uh, this is almost parenthetical, according to his will, that's for some of us that just ask for everything. Uh, we need to ask according to his will. When we do that, John says, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. So in 14 and 15, another assurance could be he, he warmly welcomes your presence with him in prayer. That's a great feeling, isn't it? That the God of the universe warmly welcomes you. He's given you a ticket that never expires. The ticket is in Christ's blood. He's made the way for you to boldly and confidently enter into the presence of God. So not only are we assured that we have salvation when we believe, but we can be assured that God is listening when we pray. God hears His people when they pray. Because you believed in the resurrection of God's Son, you're entitled to this ticket into the throne room that never expires. God hears you when you pray. God is very different. He, he is not made of, of uh, wood. He's not an idol that, that, that's inanimate. He's a being, a spiritual being. And don't you love how the Bible accommodates us and, and gives us what we call anthropomorphic language? God has ears, does He really? He has arms, that he has a strong arm and reaches down to his hands are. They just use that language for us to be able to understand God better and relate to him. And here he says, God listens to you. He hears you when you pray. It's a crazy thought to think that he hears every prayer of every believer across all of the universe. Unbelievable. He hears us. John says he somehow hears the prayers of billions of us across the globe. And he intimately answers each one. In his grand wisdom, listen, he listens to you. And then he filters his decision based on where you are in your walk with him. Some of you have been asking for something for a very long time and you've not received the answer yet. And it's because God's filtering his answer to you according to where you are in your walk with him. Now, I'm, I'm with you that we do rest in Christ, but I'm going to say there's an incredible responsibility on our part that we, that we spiritually mature. Do you agree? I mean, we have a responsibility, and that's carried out through the spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, stewardship, journaling, Bible study, Bible reading. All of those things feed our soul, and God filters His answers to us 
through where we are on our walk with him. If, we, if we're at a place where we can't hear him, he's going to send adversity to turn you towards him to tune your ears better to what he's saying. So God filters his answer to you according to how you are in your walk with him. Now I brought this along. This is a spiritual journal that I kept. I was, I was called into ministry a little bit later in life. I was 36 when I was called into ministry. I was saved at 30. And as a result of that salvation, six years later, had no clue, six years later God called me into full-time Christian service and began a, a work with me that has been a crazy ride. I was a UPS driver in Tyler, Texas for 12 years. And I, I, I was, we were set, man. I had an inc- a great 401k. I had superb insurance. I had, I, had, I, had it, I had it all. I had a great family, a great, great wife, great home. God called me into ministry, and the next thing I know, we've moved to South Carolina to pursue an education and eventually end up at Southwestern Seminary. But along that way, I journaled. Do any of you journal? It'd be a great thing to practice because it, it helps you see where you are in your walk now and where you'll be November of 2021. Has there been any change in your spiritual walk with God? Those are great things to do. And so here's a little something that regards regarding prayer that I journaled. I don't know if the Lord brought this to my mind. This was from way back in 2003, and I journaled this. Quiet time has been better. His voice is different now. In my own words, I feel like he's changing the way that he speaks to me. I know his presence is always with me, but I think I've been searching for feeling and not the truth. The truth is, this is 17 years ago, the truth is God is speaking to me, but he speaks through and according to his word. So for me, at that particular time in my life, it helped me to move from feelings to the Word of God. And so let me say to some of you that rely on feelings, I mean, we are by nature that kind of people. We rely on feelings, don't we? And, and we, if we don't feel it, we're just not in it. But the truth is, we ought to be looking at what God's Word says and then, and then move on from there. So it helped me to go back at that particular time in my life and see that I moved from feelings to the facts. So this is what God says. I want to also touch on verses 16 and 17. I didn't plan on saying much about it, but I think it's worth some time here because here is a a real stickler for some. This part about um, a sin that leads to death. I struggled with that at one particular time in my life. I had... I'd been real ugly. I was, brand, I was a brand new believer, and I, I was had some heavily influenced Southern Baptist guys that had me thinking uh, in the wrong direction about some charismatic activity. And anyway, I got, I, I felt like I was really ugly to one guy, and I said some things that I should not have said, and it, and it, it, it hurt me worse than it hurt him because I left with such conviction that I had said something wrong and hurt him. And then ultimately I thought, here I am, a brand new believer. I'm trying to become more and more like Christ, and I'm talking like that. And so I went to a a mentor of mine who was a chaplain at a hospital, and I said to him, Larry, I said, I really feel like I've committed that sin right there. I'm just not so sure 
that that I that that can be forgivable. I mean, I've talked about the Holy Spirit in a way that I shouldn't have talked before, and I feel terrible about it, and just tears pouring down my face. I said, I'm just so sorry I did that. What can I do? Is there anything else I can do? And do you think I've done that? And with just such pastoral compassion, Larry looked at me and said, the very fact that you feel so guilty about it and all the tears that are so evident of your remorse pouring down your face, I'm convinced that you've not done that. And that you want to be forgiven by God. And so, man, that gave me great assurance. I hope that helps some of you. So I hope the journal helps as well. Bottom line, when you sin, do you feel the conviction to talk to God? Do you? When you sin, do you feel the conviction to talk to God? Do you want to know that your sins are forgiven? If yes, then yes, you are. Yes, you are. Your desire to know and to please God is hard evidence that you are God's child. And that member for 40 years at First Baptist Church where I am who sat across from me in my study on Monday morning who wanted to come come and talk to me the next morning about her salvation with tears pouring down her face said, I want to settle this once and for all. And I said, well, let's go back to 1 John. We were just there yesterday and walked through the passages again And I said, just the very evidence of the fact that you're here and you're feeling remorse about it and you're crying about this tells me you are his child and that you should get up from here and walk away thinking God has my back, not me. I can't keep my own salvation. Don't you love it when Jesus says in John 10 that no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand? Hello, nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. And for the longest, I thought I could snatch my own self out of his hand. Right? I'm okay. Nobody else is going to take it from me. But boy, I've lost it a thousand times. And John is saying, no, you haven't. No, you haven't. God has your back. And no one can take you out of my hands. Absolutely nobody. So do you need assurance of your salvation this morning? 12 and 13, verses 12 and 13. There's the, there's the facts. When you believed, God gave you new life to enjoy right now. Moreover, 14 and 15, there's more evidence that God hears you when you pray. But there's more. Look at verse 18. Here in verse 18, God is keeping your salvation and the evil one cannot harm you. Look at verse 18. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. So now look at 18, and John is changing gears here. It's almost like he goes into overdrive. It's the very last chapter, and he's put it into overdrive, and now he's right at the end of the letter, and he wants to really drive home this point. And not watch, he's almost like a defense attorney. And he's proving to us that you're not going to lose your salvation, and he does it from two angles. The first angle is your conduct, and the second angle is God's protection. Let me, let me show you the evidence. Look down again. He says that we know, meaning we Christians. He says we know that we are truly genuine, authentic followers of Christ because we don't keep on sinning. Now, I walk away with that. If I just read it just like that, I would say, well, that eliminates me. I keep on sinning. Do you? I hope hope I'm in the midst of sinners this morning. That we've not reached a place of spiritual perfection. That thought is out there. Did y'all know that? 
That's a false teaching that's out there in the 21st century that you can come to a place of spiritual perfection. John Wesley taught it, who was the founder of Methodism. He, found, he, he founded this thought, and he based it on that text right there. That those who know God don't keep on sinning. So John Wesley said, you can just come to a place of perfection, spiritual perfection. I think Wesley missed it. Because the original language says that those who know Christ don't keep on willfully sinning. Do you do that? No, you don't do that. You don't wake up and tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and say, oh, I wonder whose life I can make miserable today. Do you do that? Or do you get up and war with your flesh? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I'm the latter one. I'm getting up and I'm going to war with myself because I want a number of things that the Bible tells me I can't have. And so I spend the day, and I hope you do too, warring with your flesh. Overcoming it day by day by day. That is, John would say, praise God, there's evidence right there. You are a child of God because you don't want to be the same person you were two years ago. Amen? You're, you're moving forward and you're maturing in your faith. And so the point is, is that you don't keep on willfully sinning. You don't wake up tomorrow and say, I'm just going to go, uh, I'm just going to kick the chair out from underneath my boss and I'm going to do everything I can to make Joe mad at me and I, I'm going I'm to really do everything I can so that my wife just says, would you just please leave? We don't do that stuff. We get up and we war with our flesh. And for me, that's a, a true evidence. Now, I'm still in verse 18. Here's the other angle. So the first angle, again, was that God is your conduct, that you don't wake up willfully sinning. The second one is that he goes now with God's protection. God's protection, look what he says, that um, 18, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on willfully sinning, but he who was born of God, God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. The devil would love to move in and take your seat in your recliner when you sin. He would love to do that. But the Bible is clear that he can only stand at the door and yell at you. That he can stand at the door of your home and tempt you. And so John is saying, look, let's look at this from the angle of God's protection. If you're still not convinced, let's look at it from the angle of God's protection. God has put a coat of armor around you that protects you from the evil one. Now I want to say this statement. He is the devil, but he's God's devil. <laughs> so that he'll bring whatever he pleases. He'll let him do whatever God pleases to bring you closer to God. All right, So he's the devil, but he's God's devil, and God will only allow him so much. And ultimately, he has protected you. He is, he is keeping your salvation. The devil can't touch it. Uh, think of this. I, I saw this illustration the other day. I wanted to bring it and share it with you. There should be a picture of an, of an ironclad beetle. Just throw it. Look at this guy. This is called an ironclad beetle. He is an armored tank with legs. Listen to this. His shell is so durable that NASA is studying it for further construction projects in aeronautics. Listen to this. His exterior can hold its own against a force 39,000 times its body weight. Now that, 
I was intrigued by that, but listen to this. That's the equivalent of a 150-pound person resisting the weight of 25 blue whales. Now, that impresses me. And the reason I brought that illustration to show you that there is something very similar, something much stronger that God has put around your soul. And the evil one cannot, cannot take your salvation away from you. You are secure in Christ forever and ever. And somebody would say, you know, I just don't know. I just don't know. Well, let's stop right here and let make sure we know. Let's stop right here. I've got one more thing to say, but let's stop right here and just make sure you know. So, so far, you, you would say, I want those assurances. I don't have them. Well, I don't want to miss the chance of talking to you about Christ. And so here's the deal. Right where you are, just bow your head. Everybody bow your head with me. And let's just make sure at this point that there's anybody wondering right now, I want that assurance. I don't have it. I, I'm not going to wait until the invitation. I just want to wait. wait. I just want to go right now and for you to just to say to God, in your heart of hearts, just make it a very private prayer. This is between you and God. And you just say to God, even those of you that are watching, I want, I want you to just bow your head right where you are. It may seem a little weird. That's okay. Just close your eyes and say to God, I want that assurance, Father. And I can't, you might say, I can't remember a time that I've ever just surrendered my life to you. But today, November 1st, it seems like a good day to do it. Here's this guy from Texas coming to talk to me about eternal security, and I've been thinking about it all week long. And so God, right now, I ask you to forgive me for the very first time with understanding. Please forgive me of my sins. And I want you to save me. And when I close my eyes for the last time, I want to go to heaven when I die. And so please save me. In Jesus' name. Now, the most important thing you can do is to talk to your pastor immediately after this service or those of you that are watching you would just call in or send an email to pastor steve and say i prayed that and i really sense that something's different about me what do i do now and and he can help you so john is saying the assurances are there and he's given us a number of them remember we're no match for the evil one now he's come down to the protection part and so we're no match for the evil one uh, on our own and so remember that if God would allow us to pull back the spiritual curtain right my, my grandson Camden needs that he needs to see stuff so if God was able to come down and help you and and pull back a spiritual curtain where you could see into the invisible realm and he gave you a peek at your soul you'd see something similar to that that you're protected by God it's a great feeling isn't it and it's a fact too it's not just a feeling so God has your back. Don't, stop living in fear. What I'm doing is I'm trying to bolster your confidence in God and set you free from fear. I sh first showed you 12 and 13, God gives life to those who believe. Next, I showed you that he warmly welcomes you into his presence. That's a great privilege of being a child of God. Then we talked about the protection of God from, from your conduct to his protection. We talked about the very fact that God watches over us. And, and then finally from verse 19, we just love that word, don't you, in the congregation? Finally, finally. 19, look at 19. We know that we are from God, 
and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So here, God adopted you for eternity. You're his very own child. If all of that was not enough assurance, look where John ends up. If all that doesn't help you enough, John says, let me just tell you. When you said yes to Christ, you became a child of God. And he's got your back, so stop living in fear. Now, there's no protection for those around us who don't know Christ. Did you know that? Does that give you a burden to go tell somebody today at lunch? Or maybe to put a tract in the, in the waitress's tray when she takes your, just give her a tract or give her an invitation card to First Baptist Delray. There's so, some way to talk to somebody because those who are without Christ don't have the protection of God. And some people actually revel in that. Did you know? Some people actually revel in the fact that they want to be their own man or they want to be their own woman in this world. That this is, this is my life and this is my, I can handle this. Can I just tell you you're being deceived by the evil one? You can't handle it. Life is tough. And when those who are held in the grip of the evil one, here's the truth. Can I tell you the truth this morning? The truth is that those who are in the grip of the evil one, when they close their eyes for the last time, they are immediately in the darkness of hell. Immediately. Well, I mean, we have to say that because we say that we who believers are immediately in the presence of God. Well, where do unbelievers go then? Immediately in the presence of the devil. And the deception that he's had over the years. Can you imagine the laugh that he had? You wanted to be your own man, didn't you? You wanted to be your own woman in this life. You wanted to be strong and show everybody you can do it without God's help. And he just laughs the whole time. And there you show up. So immediately, those who die in the grips of the evil one, every one of them are ending up in the very presence of the devil immediately. Every dark demon was given a field guide by the, presence of, by the prince of darkness. And in his field guide, the demon is trained to annihilate your humility and to platform your pride. And that's his responsibility all your life. Annihilate humility, platform your pride. The whole world is in the classroom of the devil. He has laid hold of them. But look at 19. But we are, we are from God. I made a big smiley face right there on my notes. But we are from God. There's a difference. He's drawing a contrast here. You, he says, you're from God. This is John's way of saying, you've been birthed by the Holy Spirit into the family of God when you believed. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, you were chosen before the foundation of the world to be his child. You said, that's pretty big theology. I can't go there. It's too early in the morning. That's above me. Well, I'm just going to tell you, it's what the Bible says. And that's what helped that lady that came to me on Monday morning after I preached that sermon. I said, let's put it this way, that God has your back. How do I know he has your back? Because God chose you before the foundation of the world. She says, well, I don't have a big testimony. Some of you say, I don't have a life-shattering testimony. I mean, there wasn't a time where I was a binge drinker or a drug abuser, and then God just came in and saved me miraculously. I hear that all the time. I don't have a big testimony like some other people have, they say. Well, let me just tell you this. Are you a child of God? Just say yes. This is yes. Are you a child of God? Then there was a time in way back then where God himself chose you before the very foundation of the world to be his child, and you walked according to the path of God and wherever you are when I was 30 years old and I'm walking that path and it's just the one the righteous steps of a man are ordered by God and as I was walking through my life God was ordering different adversities to bring me to faith in him 
So John says, here's the evidence. You want the evidence? I've given you four assurances. Here's another one. When you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you became the Son of God. You know what this is? This is called the doctrine of adoption. That you've been adopted into the family of God. You ever watch the family that adopts children? And how they embrace those kids into their family? I read this when a devastating earthquake hit Haiti in 2010. Here's what the New York Times reported. There was a teenager at that time named John Peter who was playing basketball in the yard outside the orphanage where he lived. And John Peter said, I felt the earthquake underneath my feet when that happened. The, the earth literally bounced, John Peter said. And he said, I remember at that time it scared every one of us and we ran inside and it demolished everything. The New York Times reports on how that demolished everything. But then John Peter reports that during the middle of the night, he and 18 other children from the orphanage boarded a plane in the middle of the night and flew to America. They landed in Sanford, Florida. And when they got off the plane, there were 19 families waiting for them to adopt them into their family. To take care of them. It was a beautiful illustration of what's happened with us. John Peters, listen to what he said. He said this, I saw the disaster. I was able to get out. But others were left behind. They didn't get the chance that I got. Do you hear that? All those others were left behind. There's almost some spiritual metaphor even there. That when we die, those who've, not, who, those who've had the chance to come to Christ are left behind. And they've missed out on the, cha- on the privileges even now that you have. Look, you don't have to wait to heaven to, to get to heaven to have the privileges of heaven. You're, you're God's child now. You've been adopted by Him. And some of the privileges that you have now, John Peter speaks about them. i got a new family. Can I say this? You've got a new family right here. Look around you. This is your new family. This is a family of God that meets at Delray Beach. The family of God. And you've got people around you that care deeply for you. People around you, I hope, that will pray for you. You've got people around you that have gone through similar things than you have because God ordains a church to come together like that. You have some unique characteristics about you that you can relate to one another. Some of you have real strengths. Others, you have weaknesses. And those of you who have the strengths, you're able to help those who are weak. Those of you who are weak can help those who are strong to understand why you're weak. God just does all this miraculously. The one privilege that you have is that you have a family around you. Here's another privilege. You have the Holy Spirit of God in you. Is that enough assurance for you this morning? I'm almost finished. The other privilege is that you have the Holy Spirit within you. The world is in the the evil one's grip. They don't have the Holy Spirit. You've got an inside voice to God who says, stop, 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 stop. Turn, turn here, turn here. Don't go that way. For me, it's back up, Burton. Back up, Burton. Come back here. You're way ahead of me. For some, today, it'll be the voice of the Spirit saying, go over to her. Go talk to him. Tell him you're sorry. Tell her, I didn't mean to say that. I'm sorry. Those are privileges that we have because we are children of God that the world doesn't have. Why? Because they are in the grip of the evil one. But God has your back, doesn't he? I'm bolstering your confidence in God. So, we come to the end of this message in two possibilities. Only two possible positions. Either God has laid hold of you 
or the enemy has you in his grip. It's verdict time. And I didn't count on this. I didn't, I didn't count on this this morning. Well, I mean, this is what sermons do. We lay out all the evidence, hopefully persuade you to believe. And towards the end of the sermon, we give what's called an invitation, but perhaps a verdict's even better. What's your verdict? Make it today. Are you going to keep believing what you believe? Are you going to believe what God's Word says? I promise you, you'll live differently if you believe what God's Word says. Four assurances. Four assurances that no one can take your salvation away from you. Been encouraged? Let's go thank the Lord for that. Let's pray together. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.